We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back. What's up, everyone? This is Richie, and thank you guys for joining us again today on this episode. Uh, I had a chance to speak with a former Charlotte Hornets player, Eddie Robinson, I think this is the second player that we've had on the podcast that was a former player. We had Kenny Gaddison probably a couple years ago, and he was from the earlier days. Eddie Robinson was from the late 90s, early 2000s. He was only on the team for a couple of years, but provided a lot of highlights and alley-oops and dunks and stuff like that and played during a time where the team was very consistent, making it to the playoffs, and he made it to the playoffs in both of the years that he was on the Charlotte Hornets. And I had a chance to talk to him about his background, his upbringing, you know, his college days, all the way up into uh, his days with the Hornets and the Bulls. So that conversation was awesome to hear. Before we get into the conversation with E-Rob, I wanted to thank everyone that has supported us through our Substack BuzzBeat Plus. If you're still unfamiliar with what that does, uh, I will put a link in the description. But basically... When you sign up for $35 a year or $5 a month, you get ad-free episodes. You get exclusive episodes that never make it to the regular podcast feed. And then you also get early access to podcast. Sometimes that's you know three hours, four hours, five hours, or sometimes it's days. So this specific interview that I had with Eddie Robinson was actually released on Monday, three days ago here on the BuzzBeat Plus feed. So if you want to get your hands or your ears, I guess, on the podcast episode a little bit early and you think that's a benefit to you, I would check out the link in that description of the episode notes. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this interview with Eddie Robinson. All right, welcome back to another BuzzBeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and we have another special guest joining us today. We've got a former Charlotte Hornets player from 1999 to 2001, 
Eddie Robinson. E-Rob, how's it going? How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, I will say that you are part of my favorite era in Charlotte Hornets history. Those mid to late 90s teams were just so fun to watch. They were consistent. They were competitive. So this is going to make this interview uh, a little bit more exciting for me. And I think there are plenty of places and things I want to ask you about. But I, I, I want to start in the beginning. You grew up in Flint, Michigan, which actually also produced another Hornets player in the mid to late 90s with Glenn Rice. Two-part yeah. question here. First off, like how was it growing up in Flint? And number two, did you play many sports as a kid or is it strictly basketball? I mean, you know, growing up in Flint was, you know, it was rough. I believe we use basketball as an escape to a to a better life, you know, getting out of the what we call the Flint Zoo, you know, it's, it's rough there with a lot of, you know, a lot of gun violence, a lot of gang activity, just a, just a lot of bad stuff going on and Cause I, I'm thinking to myself, like, this can't be life. You know what I'm saying? Like it has to be better than this. So, you know, I use basketball as a way to, you know, get out of my environment. Now, did you play other sports or was it strictly basketball? Just strictly basketball. Gotcha. Gotcha. At what age did you think that you could turn basketball into something bigger and make it professionally? Like, did that ever cross your mind in middle school or high school? Well, I didn't, I didn't play high school ball, so Probably when I was close to the, I think when I turned seventeen, um, you know, I was at that, I was at that point where it's like, okay, I got to do something now, or it's never gonna happen. So with the guidance of Raymond Jones, rest in peace, Ray Jones, my AU coach, he was kind of my mentor, my father figure growing up in Flint. Um, you know, he guided me and let me know that hey, just because you dropped out of high school doesn't mean it's the end for you. You know, you can you can get your GED and, and go to college that way. And, you know, he was, uh, Ray Jones is the guy that, you know, it was a lot of kids like me and Mateen Cleese, Morris mm-hmm. Peterson, Charlie Bell, a lot of those guys that I play AU ball with, you know, he he had a big mentor mentorship with us and, you know, guiding us in the right direction as far as college coaches. Um, getting us that getting us that attention that we needed by playing in those AU games. Um, I wasn't even in high school, actively on a roster, and I played AU basketball with the top kids in Flint. And you know, they knew my name and they knew what high school I went to. But I started getting all these college recruitment letters. You know, because I you know I was in school. I wasn't taking school seriously. Uh, skipping, running the halls, just just being a class clown and things of that nature. And my the assistant coach at the time, Mr. Hughley, he brought me in the office one day when I was skipping class. He was like, man, I need to show you something. So he brought me in his office and I had a fucking stack of med, a stack <laughs> of letters from these colleges, right? And I was like, yo, what? He was like, I don't know how the hell you getting all this mail or how you even got on the AU team and you ain't playing no basketball. No high school basketball. How are you getting all these letters from these colleges? And then I explained to him what, what you know, what I was doing. And he was like, "Man, hopefully this will make you rethink what you want to do with your life." And you see, you you've got interest from colleges. Like they they're they're offering me scholarships. So I was like, once I saw that, you know that that changed the whole narrative of my, of my thinking. Like I was like, well. Yeah, I think I better I better take this seriously. So I um after that day of school, I went down to Burston Field House. That's where I lived at. That's what 
That's what that's what we that's what we hoop. I hoop that every day, all day. So I, I'm I'm running down there. I'm running down there to see Ray Jones with my letters in my head. He said, "Man, I already know about that." The call, all these college coaches done called me, asking me who you was and this and that. And you know, I'm not surprised about about all those letters in your hand. I, you know, I've been telling you, you have the you're a million dollars walking around here. That's what he used to always tell me. You're a million dollars. You're a million dollars walking around, Flint, and you ain't doing nothing. So I got with him and, you know, he reached out to some coaches who gave me an opportunity to, you know, come in and show him what I can do and rest is history, you know. So if it wasn't for Raymond Jones, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. <laughs> so you, you jumped around a lot during your collegiate days, but your last stop before the NBA was Central Oklahoma. Considering that was like a small school, did you ever think that playing in the NBA was just going to be too hard to kind of put your name on the map and have teams recognize you. Like what, what were your thoughts playing at central Oklahoma, trying to put your, your name on the map? Because I think well, the year prior, didn't you declare for the NBA, but you went undrafted. That's what I was going to, that's what I was going to tell you about. So in 97, when I, when I met the first school I went to was Trinity Valley, Okay, Trinity Valley in Athens, Texas. That was the first school I went to. So, uh, Ross Alaska, it was in Flint. You know, scouting, looking for players, and he ran across me and Pruitt. Pruitt Allen was his—he was the number two guard in the country at the time out of Central High School, and um, we were a package deal. So me and him went together to Trinity Valley. Um, Coach Velasca, um 
he was transferring at the end of the year. So I was trying to, you know, continue my relationship and follow him. So he never, I don't think he ended up getting a job that next, that following year. So I ended up going to Brown Mackey. Now, when I went to Brown Mackey, and this is in Salina, Kansas, population 20. <laughs> so this is a small town. Like our school, it was a business school, right? And, and it's like, in this plaza and it's next to like a shoe store. So I remember the first day I'm trying to find a school. I'm like, coach, I'm, I can't find a school. And then I, I walked past it 50 times and didn't recognize that. Oh, this is the school. So it's not, it's not like a campus. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's just a, it's just a building with classrooms and it's a business school. So <laughs> end up, end up getting a lot of, a lot of, that's when, that's when a lot of the pro scouts was coming to my games when I was in Salina, Kansas. So I had created, I had created that buzz my sophomore year in college. And what was crazy is the, and the reason I put my name in the draft is because at the time the Spurs had showed great interest in me and, and was telling my coach, which was coach Flax, Francis Flax, you know, shout out to him. That's, you know, he, he gave me a chance and took a chance and bringing me in and giving me a full ride and things like that. And, um, you know, he, me and him had a great relationship and we still do to this day, like as of right now. So, you know, he was like, man, the Spurs love you. The Spurs love you. And R.C. Buford was the general manager at the time. So him and R.C. have been talking, I guess, whatever, whatever. Obviously, I can't talk and have conversation with NBA general managers and I'm only a sophomore in college. So, you know, they talked and they talked and they was, he was like, man, you got a great opportunity because the Spurs is saying they'll take you second round. So I was like, well, shit, that's all I need to hear. I only need one team <laughs> right. to fulfill my dream. You know what I'm saying? As long as I get one of them to bite, I figure I'm going to go take that opportunity. You know what I'm saying? And I've always, you know, I've always been the type of person to, when opportunity knocks on the door, I answer it. I have to answer it. I, it's nothing to think about. So I'm like, well, shit. So I ended up putting my name in a draft. They didn't draft me. And before the draft, I had I hadn't. Before I decided to do that, I hadn't talked to my mentor yet, which is Raymond Jones, you know, because, you know, he's guiding me. He's giving me great advice. And, you know, I, once I ran it by him, he was like, what? You ain't ready for no NBA. You just not learning how to play college ball. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I didn't play high school ball. So right. I was four years behind when I got to college. You know what I'm saying? So. I'm like, no, nah, coach. I'm like, no, nah, Ray, no. Nah. They they saying this, they saying that. So I, I'm not sure if him and R.C. Buford ever had a conversation or not. Like, I, like, I don't know that. But, you know, I was I was focused and determined and, and, and trying to make it happen my sophomore year in college. You know what I'm saying? After only playing two, you know, two years of, back, of college, of junior college, you know? Yeah. And... He was like, you're not, you're not ready to face grown men. You know, there's those, those grown men in the NBA. You know, you, you got to work on your body. You, you got to get stronger. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to learn this. You got to learn that. So after taking into consideration of what he was telling me, which, you know, he hasn't been wrong about anything this far, right? So I was like, all right, man. All right. So I sent my letter in to take my name out. You know, you have a certain you have a certain time limit to declare your name out of the draft, right? So, and I didn't have an agent, right? Right. Never signed an agent, right? So, I put my, so I sent my letter in, and I'm, I'm I was assuming David Stern got my letter, and so I missed the draft. Like I watched the first I, I watched the first round of the draft, 
and then and then I just stopped watching, right? Because I mean, there was no no reason to me to watch the second round because I'm assuming my name is not in there. So I pick up the paper the next day. <laughs> I pick up the newspaper the next day just to kind of like see where players went in the draft, right? So I'm, I'm okay, such and such we're here, such yeah. and such we're here. Second round players, boom, 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 boom. Players not drafted. And I saw my name. And I was like, huh. you know, I saw my name and I was like, wait a minute. I'm not even supposed to be in this draft. So end up contacted David Stern. He gave me the runaround about how, no, I didn't receive no letter from you and <laughs> and all this stuff. And, and you know, we, we had words and. And 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 then he was like, "Well, just just go back to school. That's just the best thing you can do. Just go back to school." And then I was like, "Okay." So I was like, "I got some D one offers. Am I able to go?" No, you can't go D one. You can't go D one. You 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 blew that opportunity when you put your name in a draft. And, and that's what he told me. And to this day, I don't even know if that's true or not because I didn't sign the agent. So right. I'm thinking to myself, "Well, shit, I got to go D two now," which wasn't a problem because I've already created the buzz. <laughs> the scouts know about me, so it, it doesn't matter what school I go to at this point. I could have went D12. <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered because I've already been pro, you know, professionally scouted by these NBA scouts. I've seen them at my games, you know what I'm saying? So that really wasn't a big concern. Of, that wasn't a big concern of mine, you know, go, you know, as far as making that next step as to what I was going to do basketball-wise as far as what school I was going to go to. So University of Central Oklahoma, was my next stop, which was probably five hours down the road. You know, it was close. It was right there. So I was like, you know, I decided to go to Central Oklahoma. And, you know, and, and I love my two years there. You know, I had I had great experiences. My coaches was great. I, uh, they're still teammates from every college that I played mm-hmm. with, played for that, you know, I still communicate with. So, you know, I've, I've, I've you know, gained new friends and, so yeah, that you know the college experience was great for me. So yeah, I ended up going to Central Oklahoma for two years. And here's the crazy part. <laughs> here's the crazy part. Okay, now I put my name in the draft right in '97. So I went undrafted. I never had an agent, so I was able to go back to school. So, so once I once I picked who you know who my agent was right, which was James Bryan out of ProServe. He had Avery Johnson, Danielle Marshall. Um, Antonio McDice. Those are just the names I know right off bat, right? Yeah. So I ended up signing with him and um, he got to doing some research and he called me. He was like, man, you not going to believe this. I'm like, what, what? As soon as you're done playing, as soon as you play your last collegiate game, you're an automatic NBA free agent. Because I because I went, you know, because of what happened with the draft situation, right? So I was like, what? So so now what happens is as soon as I'm done playing my college career, as soon as I play that last game, I'm an automatic NBA restricted free agent. So I went to the Knicks. I went to my first NBA workout because I was the only guy able to, you know, move around and, and, and train for NBA teams. Other players can do that because they had to finish school. And finished their season because you know they they were in the you know they were in the you know the college the college tournament. I was the only kid <laughs> <laughs> doing NBA workouts after a college season. So the Knicks was my first stop, and they were playing. 
the Miami Heat in the playoffs. So here's here's me. I go from Central Oklahoma playing my last college game to boom NBA free agent. Boom on the road traveling. Go to Oklahoma to New York. I'm in New York at the playoff game. So my first co- my first NBA game experience is the fucking playoffs. And it, you know what I'm saying? So I was, man, that was, and you know, at the garden of all places, the Mecca of basketball, the garden, uh, you know, that, that blew my mind. I was like, wow. Like it, it happened so fast. Like, and man, that was, that was the greatest, that was the greatest experience ever. You know, just, just going from college to boom, right to the pros and, and not, not have to wait until the summer to do my pro workouts. I, I get to start up now. I get to have an advantage of being seen before any other college player is going to be seen. And I went to the Knicks and what's crazy is the Knicks were going to sign me. So just imagine I could have played my last college game and went right to the NBA playoffs and, and been on the NBA roster. So what I ran into and what I end up running into was, okay, in order for this to work, they would have to cut a veteran. And that veteran would have been David Wingate. Hmm. So, and at this time, you know, the Larry Johnson's, the, the, the Allen Houston, the, uh, Larry, jo- I said, Larry, Patrick Hewen, you know, that whole court, they was like, oh man, young fella, you're going to get you a job, man. Boom, boom. You know, I worked out with them. And they see, and they see me worked out. You know, see me working out, and man, they were like, "Man, you gonna, you know, like you gonna get a job?" Boom, 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 boom. So, I ran into that NBA, that NBA veteranship, that brotherhood that that I assume that you know I end up being a part of once I joined the ball club. You know, so so that's what kind of stopped me from creating history. That way was they weren't willing to you know cut David Wingate to bring me in. Yeah. I was like, I was just fascinated that that could even be a possibility. Yeah. You know, which was crazy. Like that, that never happens. No, that's, that's definitely an interesting story. And uh, obviously you came in in 99, um, that next year with the Hornets, you can't, that, that draft yeah. class, by the way, was a pretty stacked draft class. Uh, Baron Davis uh, was yeah, in we, it. Um, yeah. We had the best draft class. My era was the best. <laughs> and, yeah. I, and I think when you joined the team, Ricky Davis was a first-year player. Uh, yeah. So between you and Baron and Ricky, you guys created highlight plays on a nightly basis. What was it like playing with those two players, and how quickly did you guys kind of form that chemistry? I mean, you know, we were, you know, obviously we were the, the next rookie class coming in. Um, Man, we, we, I think it was just, you know, we were so happy. You know, we were so happy and excited, like we, and and you know, we were and we were just naturally good people, so we automatically clicked. Me and Baron, me and Baron, me and Baron clicked the quickest. You know what I'm saying? Besides Anthony Mason, because what happened was you got if you remember, Baron was coming off an ACL injury, mm-hmm. so he 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 came to camp. I think like mid camp, maybe day maybe day five or six or something like that. So everybody was excited, you know, to finally see him come, you know, him come to camp to see what he could do. Cause you know, we, me and Ricky Davis and, and Lee Nalen and McGlore and Derek mm-hmm. Coleman, and we, we've been battling two a days the last six days. So we kind of much 
know what everybody can do with this and that. So now we're like, man, we want to see what Barry going to come in here and do, right? So BD comes and <laughs> I'll give you a funny story about, about that day. Uh, we just kept giving, like, I just kept giving BD the ball because I just want to see what BD do, right? And the person that's guarding him is David Wesley. <laughs> so David Wesley got pissed off because we kept giving him the ball and he just kept going at, B- at, at, at D-Dub, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> David Wesley was like, oh, so y'all just going to keep giving him the ball? I'm like, yes. We've been bumping and grinding the last six days for two days. Oh, we want to see what BD finna do and how, how he is off of that injury and things of that nature, right? So he he basically killed he killed David Wesley, right? So David Wesley gets mad and just walks off the court. <laughs> walks off the court, goes to the locker room and go home in the middle of camp. <laughs> and I think that rookie year, David Wesley probably played you know, the, the good portion in the beginning of that season as the point guard and then kind of Baron yeah. Davis slowly took over. Uh, and obviously they played together. That, that was yeah. kind of a good, you know, one-two punch at the point guard and shooting guard position. I do want to ask you about this because this is uh, kind of a touchy subject, but in the rookie season, you guys were dealt with a uh, real tragedy with the passing of Bobby Phils. I think many Charlotteans know exactly kind of where they were when they heard that news. How did that event change you and your teammates for the rest of the season, if you can remember? I mean, of course I can remember. I, I remember it if it happened five minutes ago. I mean, coming like coming from Flint, I was used to, you know, death. And 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 you know, just from coming up in the neighborhood I came up in and you know, I saw a lot of death. A lot of my friends got killed, were murdered. Um so I'm not gonna say I was ever used to it, but it wasn't a it wasn't a shock as far as, you know, somebody passing away, right? So I remember it like it happened five minutes ago. We were at shoot around. Mm-hmm. We just had shoot around and, you know, we left shoot around. Certain guys go a certain way. Certain guys go a different way. Obviously, Baron, Bobby, uh, David Wesley, they, they all went, they all go the same way because they live like in the same direction you would take. So some players go a different way because right. they live certain direction right so and I just remember I just remember um I had got home took a shower I was eating doing my pregame thing getting ready for the game or whatever and you know I'm just sitting on the after I ate after I took a shower and ate out I'm sitting on the couch and I'm just flicking through channels right so I'm flicking through channels and the way I found out like nobody called me and said anything of that nature. Right. I found out by flicking through channels and, you know, they're showing the practice. They're showing the, um, they're showing the arena on the news. And then, and then they show, they show the arena. So after they show the arena, they show, they go to like the crash site. And I remember seeing my equipment manager sitting on the ground, just bawling out, just crying. I'm thinking to myself, yo, what the fuck just happened? And so I did. And then all the news, you see all the news reporters coming out They're They're talking to players. And I'm like, and then I see, I see, a, I see uh, Bobby Fields Porsche, you know, covered up. So I'm like, oh, don't tell me, don't tell me. Uh, nah. So I hopped right in my car and headed to the, 
and headed to the, you know, the gym because it happened like 10 minutes away from the gym. So I pull up and it's like, oh shit, like Bobby Fields is, you know, he died instantly. He's, he's still in the car. No, they haven't even, they hadn't even removed him yet. That's like, that was the craziest, like, I, that was crazy. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like that was, that was, that was like that, you know, Bobby, you know, Bobby Fields was a great dude, great husband, great father. You know, th- this is the stuff I seen by him, you know, interacting with his kids and his wife, Kendall. And man, I just, I just felt so fucking bad for his kids and his wife, man, because, you know, he was hands on with that. He taught me a lot from the defensive end, you know, you know, cause he was a hell of a hell of a defender. You know, I learned a lot of my defensive footwork mm-hmm. and understanding from him, you know, so that, that, that was, that was sad as fuck, man. Like, and you know, and it just puts, it puts a, a, a perspective on life. Like you never know when it's your time, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, that was that was that was hard to deal with. You know, I thought I've kind of escaped that by leaving Flint and being on my journey. And, you know, once I left Flint, I I, I never dealt with that hands on. You know, I've, I've heard about such and such getting killed back home. You know, I heard about it, but wasn't right there in my face. You know, I, I was away from that. And then through my whole college career, that never happened to like any of my teammates or, you know, things of that nature, but that was the first time I lost a teammate, a friend, you know, and another friend, another dog, you know, that was the first time I ever lost, you know, a friend that I played ball with, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that, it was, that was tough, man. Yeah. I I can only imagine having, you know, having that team try to bounce back and kind of refocus everything on basketball when that's probably the last thing on your mind. Um, So your rookie season, you guys made it to playoffs lost in the first round to the Sixers. And then in your <laughs> second season, you guys made a big offseason trade uh, for Jamal Mashburn and P.J. Brown. In my opinion, you kind of rarely see those trades nowadays. There's like nine players that were involved. Uh, yeah, it was like nine-player trade. Yeah, that's, that, that's unheard of today. I know you only played with Mashburn for a season, uh, but how would you describe him as a player? Mash was tough, man. Strong. He was, that, he was strong as hell. And man, I, I learned so much from him. And um, <clears throat> man, he was a hell of a player, man. You know, he, he led us, he led us all the way to that semi, semi uh, finals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he had that like back down turnaround fadeaway shot yeah. down. Yeah, he yeah he had that post game. And yeah. I'm not gonna say he was MJ and Kobe like, but you know, <laughs> he he operated down there like them. <laughs> like for real, he didn't have the athleticism like they did, but he damn sure had the floor game and the post moves, and he knew how to get his shit off. and And he was a force down there on that block. Yep. And and what was so interesting in that season, you guys went on to play the Heat in the playoffs and swept them. Like it wasn't even close. Like I think all the games were like double digits. You had a you had a good couple of games in that series, and then you guys went on to play the Bucks in the second round. 
and you guys were one away, one win away from making the Eastern Conference Finals. That's the first time, or would have been the first time in franchise history. And I feel yeah. that sometimes uh, players probably remember losses more than they do the wins sometimes. Of course. of course. Do you remember the locker room after Game 6? Because Game 6 was in Charlotte, and you guys had a chance to close out the series. Just to close it out. Yeah. yeah. Do, you guys rem- like, do you remember what the mood was, knowing that you had to go back to Milwaukee for Game 7? I think we was all ready to fight each other, <laughs> including the coaches. <laughs> you know, Paul Silas, you know, being an ex-player, oh, man, he he did a hell of a job with us. He's a hell of a coach, man. Yeah. None but, none but the, the utmost respect for Coach Silas, man. I still talk to him to this day. But, yeah, man, we, we, were, we were so close to closing that thing out. We didn't do it. You know, we had our words, we had our, you know, we, we, we had our, our little arguments or whatever, but I think the, the I think what allowed us to still stay together is because unlike this new era, right? We were able we were able to talk shit to each other and hold each other accountable without 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 it being a problem. You know what I mean? So I mean we were close like that. We hung out, we hung out all the time, we partied together as a unit, like we, we, we hung out. So I think that gave us a sense of, okay, I, I should be able to tell you, yo, what the fuck is you doing? You got to do this. You got to do that without you feeling like, Hey man, I don't like how you just talk to me. I'm going to the gym and I want to get a trade. Yeah. Yeah. Like this trade shit, because you don't like this situation. This is why you can't compare my era to this new shit. It's totally different. Nobody wanted to get traded when that shit was an embarrassment. <laughs> Trade it was an embarrassment. Now you got guys just requesting trade. Oh, I don't like it here. I'm, I'm leaving. That's that's just not how we were built. Mm-hmm. It was a fucking embarrassment to be traded. It wasn't a great fucking thing. It wasn't a great feeling because now you got to move your whole family and go to a whole nother situation and redo everything. No, that's an, that was embarrassing. So we played our ass off to not be traded. Whose idea was it to get the whole team to wear headbands? Probably me and Baron. Was there anyone on the team that was like reluctant to wear them or just needed? I mean, I mean of course, of course, Eldon Campbell. Would, <laughs> I ain't wearing no fucking big homie. We called him big homie, big homie. I think big homie was like, man, I ain't wearing no headband. I think he may have been the only one. Him and Otis Thorpe. Oh, I forgot about Otis. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I think Pers- I think Hersey Hawkins. I- I'm trying to think that Hersey, uh, you know what I'm saying? Hersey. But yeah, I mean, PJ Brown. Yeah, so I mean, everybody, everybody, you know, was was like, "Hell no!" At first, and then yeah. you end up doing. It. I'm like, "Well, I'm gonna wear mine anyway." Yeah, you, yeah, you wore it regardless. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wore regardless. So, yeah. like, and they they just kind of went along with it and just showed a sense of you know of, of fellowship. Speaking of headbands, is it true that the Bulls banned the headbands because of you? Oh gosh, the eye roll. Yes. Wow. Yes. Over one person. Yes, and and that's just and and that goes to show you, like, me and John Paxson. I mean, we we fell out like we fell out every, every like every day. This this guy got me in his office, and he was trying to puppet me to the point where he controlled what I said to the media when they asked me a question, and and 
Uh, and I'm not a fucking puppet. If, if I'm not going to answer a question and say, hmm, what would John Paxson say? Like, I'm not that fucking type of person. You ask me a question, I'm going to answer it. And he always used to get on me about my answers in, you know, to the media. And and the biggest one that pissed him off was when I said, hey, don't nobody here want to run the fucking triangle? We don't like it. We don't want to run this shit. We don't want to run a premeditated offense being the youngest team in the NBA. And our backline defense is Eddie Curry and Tyson Chandler, two teenagers that just turned 17 years old. Also, when you think about the triangle, you have to have dominant post players. That, okay, at the end of the day, shit break down. Who can we throw to to go get a bucket? We didn't have that. Right. We didn't have, we didn't have that. We had Curry that could take up space. And and catch the ball down there, but he he couldn't make nothing happen because now you never you never developed this guy. You never developed Eddie Curry. You guys never taught him post moves. You never taught you never taught him anything. So all he's doing is high school shit in the NBA because that's all he knows. You guys didn't take that whole summer to teach him nothing. So how how competitive? Like I know you signed a lucrative deal with the Bulls, and how, how competitive it, you know of an offer did Charlotte offer you? Because I mean, obviously you're not going to pass up the money, but did Charlotte offer something yep. that offseason? Six years, sixteen million dollar deal. I mean, do you regret your time in Chicago at all? I'm I'm assuming no. I don't. I don't. I don't see. That's one thing about me. I, I don't live with with regrets. You know, I, I'm I'm a godly person. I believe in God. I believe my life is written out already. I'm just living through it. So, so I don't, I don't live with regrets like that. I mean, it happened the way it was supposed to happen. <laughs> you can't change that. You know, I hate when people say if, if no, there's no, if this is the way it's supposed to happen, that's the way it was going to happen. And I'll tell you what, I fucking love Chicago. I mean, those fucking fans, even though we were shitty as we were, mm-hmm. they came out and sold the fucking arena out every night. Every night we're sold out every night, no matter what. And, and that says a lot about a city and, and the character of a city. No matter what, they had our back. They knew we were the youngest team in the NBA. They knew the Bulls were at a point at a point where they were transitioning from the Michael Jordan era. <laughs> you know, and yeah, man. So I felt like, I mean. We were the youngest team. I, I was considered, a, you know, the, one of the the third the third oldest veteran on the team, and I was only twenty three years old. <laughs> wow, that's how young we were. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, my time in Chicago was great. I loved the city. I, I met a lot of cool ass people. You know, a lot of cool ass people I met. You know what I'm saying in Chicago that I still conversate with today. You know what I'm saying. So I built great relationships with people, and you know I'm, I'm I'll be forever grateful for you know being able to say I played for the Bulls yeah. and I played for the Hornets. You know what I'm saying. Just making it to the NBA and just fulfilling a dream that 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 wasn't even on my plate. I didn't know what the hell I was going to be doing with my life. Up until 17 years old, I, w- I dropped out of high school in the ninth grade. I was in the streets, you know, so I had no fucking idea that the NBA was even a possibility, let alone going to college. You know what I'm saying? All right, Eddie, we're going to go ahead and sign off here. We thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time and, and your stories. Your stories were great. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Anytime. Let me know when you want to do it again. All righty. Take care. All right. Thanks.